0: Hey Emily. Hey Greg. Let's get Kraken. Let's it?
1: get Kraken. Oh, I got of it.
0: Seattle. The Seattle Kraken. Yep. So we have a team name. How exciting. And your story this week on the creation of the name and also my favorite part, the obfuscation of other people trying to figure out the name was really cool. Um We got the Kraken. It's it's an exciting time, finally.
1: Honestly, I felt like the story was as much of a caper story of just all the different elements (laughs) to keep it secret. But yeah, I did get 24 hours notice because I've been, you know, working to get this story for like two years. And I talked to Andy Jassy, um, who is one of the co-owners. He's the CEO of Amazon Web Services. And he's the first person I talked to. And they're like, I was like, Andy, like, what's the name? And he's looking at the PR woman like, can I say it out loud? Am I allowed to? Because they're just not (laughs) used to saying it. Uh, And then when he finally said Kraken, I said yay because I was really scared they were going to mess it up. And in my opinion, it's awesome. What do you think?
0: We'll talk about that in a second. I I do want to say that (laughs) I am very impressed that they managed to keep this thing under wraps for as long as they did. I really thought at some point in the 24 hours leading up to the announcement – that like shop NHL was going to have a Kraken jersey mistakenly published on its website or some uh-huh. dumb stuff like that because that's very on brand for the NHL. But they did a pretty good job keeping it on the down low and also kind of chumming the water for me and the other Internet sleuths that were checking uh, web uh, site ownership uh, logs and trademark, uh, you know, search databases and stuff. So it was th- I love that they were cognizant of the fact that people were going to be on their scent trying to break this uh, name and uh, they did a great job keeping it under wraps until they were able to reveal it. So good times. Yeah, let's talk about the name and stuff in a second uh, because there's a lot to say coming up on ESPN and ice that stuff. Ryan of the New York Rangers, uh, Chris Pronger, man, joining us to talk about his new uh, ventures and his uh, hockey career and life in general. All that more on this edition of ESPN and ice. Let's start the show proper. Shall we?
1: Ice to Your Earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan.
0: It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer.
1: I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter.
0: And first off, obviously the big hockey news of the week. The only thing that could trump you know 24 teams returning to two bubble cities to play hockey in a global pandemic the naming of an expansion team um <laughs> the Kraken are here let's let's tick down the categories that uh, you and i participated in on ESPN this week where uh, ourselves and a few others were round tabling the name and the colors and stuff let's start with the name uh what were your thoughts on it being Kraken ultimately
1: well like i said yay i love it it's weird it's unique Um, My take on it is that it's this kind of like nobody really knows what a kraken is. It's very (laughs) dubious if it's even like belonging to the Pacific waters uh, where Seattle lives. Um, But it's one of those things where like if you're from the city, like it's you. It's your joke. And if you don't get it, you're not one of us. And I kind of feel like that fits the attitude of Seattleites. I don't even know if they like to call themselves that. (laughs) Um, very particular aesthetic, a very particular attitude. Um, and honestly, it's just going to sound cool. It lends itself to such cool pregame intros. And I feel like game presentation is going to be such a huge element of this franchise. So personally, big fan.
0: Yeah, I think the game presentation stuff and all the things that you could do with Kraken. I mean, I imagine they're probably going to hire some of the geniuses that did the pregame stuff for the Golden Knights. You could already see there being, you know, tentacles across the ice, grabbing at opposing players and stuff. You know, all that nonsense will be a lot of fun. Um, The thing about the locals that I find interesting, though, and I I know that you had this sort of in your research as well, is the idea that um, Kraken was never really top of the pops as far as what the locals were voting on in, you know, polls that were held by newspapers and things like that. It was always uh, sockey's and totems and metropolitans before it was the Kraken. So I always thought that was kind of an interesting aspect of it as far as the what the locals wanted.
1: That's fair. But what I found interesting is when I was reporting this story, I realized how much Seattle NHL franchise, now the Kraken, were monitoring, not only like the Seattle Times poll and their own polling, Um, But they were doing focus groups and they literally were Twitter stalking everybody. And they would see (laughs) every time a name came up on Twitter or mention and what's the sentiment, what's the reaction, they would have weekly reports on that. Um, And uh, Heidi Detmer, who is the VP of marketing, told me that literally the first day they put signage up at their building in downtown Seattle on the door, the first day they get there the next morning, there's a post-it note attached to it and it just says handwritten message release the kraken and she felt like throughout the entire process it just kept coming up again and again and that was like a rallying cry for fans so even if we feel like it's a little bit of mixed reviews i do think they did a lot of market research to know a lot of people did support this name and a lot of people could get behind it
0: yeah obviously something they're learning pretty quickly is that the ancillary stuff about kraken that we were all pretty excited about to begin with like crackheads and crack house and things of that nature carry a certain connotation for a lot of people, um, not only about drug addiction, as our own Linda Cohen pointed out, nothing funny about that, but also about uh, racial connotations and the fact that crackheads are seen as a racially divisive term, um, specifically to the black community. And uh, that's important to know going forward because I don't think a lot of us realized it until uh, the first 24 hours of this name coming out and some of the jokes that were being made to the point that uh, Breaking Tea, which is a company that makes a lot of... uh, Gear that's sports oriented and, and and funny and and a lot of people love it and they're able to kind of turn this stuff around really quickly. Put out a crackhead's t-shirt like minutes after the name was announced and then pulled said t-shirt from the market twenty four oh, hours pulled. later I after didn't the backlash. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it's obviously it's not impugning the name itself. Kraken's awesome. It's it's uh, unique and evocative of. It's the closest we're ever going to come, as I said on the on in the, in the roundtable, to having a kaiju as uh, the mascot <laughs> of some nhl team which is awesome uh but the the ancillary stuff you know fans are probably going to embrace some of it i don't think the team is but it's probably something to kind of tread lately on moving forward moving on to the logo you know the logo took me a while logo at first glance when i first saw it um you know in sort of a leaky way uh in the in the hours leading up to the announcement i didn't really get it but now i sort of do not only from what you reported which is the The S is sort of a a tribute to the Seattle Metropolitans logo, but also the fact that like the top of the S is a squid head and the tentacles are coming down and there's that tentacle in negative space. Like it's a pretty interesting logo uh, that at first glance maybe I didn't appreciate.
1: Yeah, I think the use of negative space is what makes it incredibly interesting because it doesn't feel like something we've seen before. Um, Yeah, the designer I talked to from Adidas, I love this guy. His name is (laughs) Matty Murrell. He called me firstly when we did the video chat from like the eastern Washington woods. Like I don't (laughs) know where he was. Um, And the way he described it is you're looking at the S and you're thinking about the colors and you're thinking about the Metropolitans and there's a tentacle wrapping around your ankle ready to pull you down. And I was like, (laughs) wow, he had a lot of fun designing this. Um, But I think the thing to remember about logos, which is, you know, important here, is that they evolve. Like we, you know, this is just a basis and there's something about, design that I probably don't understand or appreciate, but simplicity is key and they can evolve from this. So I like the fact that it's just an S and that red eye accent, which as they're loving to share that detail it was David Bonderman, who's the majority owner's last touch. He said, aha, there needs to be an eye. Um, you know, like <laughs> that's going to look different over time, but I, I think it's a good template to play with.
0: Yeah. The, the Bonderman thing was real smart because the eye really kind of ties the logo together. The other thing we should say is that, they're blessed with a secondary logo right now. The, I mean, some people say it's an anchor. I think it's probably more like a fish hook kind of deal, um, with the space needle serving as mm-hmm. the main part of it. Like it's it's probably better than a third of the league's primary logos right now. <laughs> and so the ability to there use that. There's a spicy cone, take for the day, dude. It's awesome. It. I mean, as much as the tentacled S is pretty fun. Like that logo when I saw it, I'm like, that's genius. But I'm a real easy. You know, I'm a real sucker for, um, you know, the iconography of of a certain geographic place being introduced into logos like the blues for a long time had a third jersey that was like a, a circle crest and it had the arch on it. And I'm just like, that's yeah. great. That's awesome. Like, how fun is that? Anytime you do that kind of thing. Oh, best example. You and I always talk about the Liberty head from the Rangers. Like, that's yep. a jersey that I've been dying for them to bring back, even as a Devils fan. And I've been uh,
1: dying for the Chicago Blackhawks. to have a bean jersey. <laughs> just,
0: just, uh, the bean. I want
1: to incorporate the bean, which is really a cloud. Um, it's not actually a bean, but everyone calls it the bean.
0: The bean or like the dinosaur skeleton, the giant brontosaurus skeleton, oh, one of the two.
1: So game for that. Why, why are you like <laughs> hanging on to the name Blackhawks when you have all of these opportunities here for a rebrand? <laughs> Guys, come
0: on. Um, but I, that secondary logo is going to be awesome on an alternate jersey, which I know they've already talked about doing a couple of them. So that'll be fun. The colors. Now, here's the problem with the colors for me. I've got I got two minds of this. On the one hand, you and I both had reported for years that red and black was the initial color scheme that they were thinking of. We both hated it. We're like, why do that? The Devils, the Hurricanes, all these the every senators. Every team in the league. Every team in the league. Stupid. Don't, don't add to it. Um, but then they did this thing where on all of their websites and all their materials for like the years leading up to the revelation of this name – their colors were like this salmon pink and like this bright blue that was almost teal, but even brighter than that. And you're looking at it, you're like, my God, if a team was bold enough to come out with that as your color scheme, you are the most distinct franchise in professional sports. And then they settle mm-hmm. on uh, red and then like four shades of blue that they kind of like made up. Um, what do you think of the color oh, scheme? Yes.
1: Um, so when you think about what the league has also a lot of blue teams 16 yeah. of the of the teams that are existing have blue in their logo and I think it's funny that they're like well ours is different because <laughs> firstly there's no white in the home jerseys at all and I like that because I think That's it makes the cool. blues pop yeah. Um, but they're like well we added the red to make it unique and I'm like Yeah, well, poor Winnipeg Jets. Why do we always have to get on them? Like, they have red in theirs. Like, did you forget about them? Um, I I would have (laughs) loved some element of green just because it's the Emerald City. Like, the things they kept hearing again and again in their fan focus groups and probably on Twitter was blue and green are what people gravitated to. Like, I understand the uh, reticence for being too close to the Canucks, which are their closest geographical rival, but be the Canucks, but cooler. Just pick a cooler green. Pick a Seahawks green mm-hmm uh
0: yeah that's the thing the, the green in the city is uh is so distinct for the seahawks for the the sounders and others just like to not have that in the jersey is kind of weird but i understand it they went they went mariners instead that's fine um mm-hmm. finally uh we have the name we have the colors we have the logo and finally we have of course the jerseys that they released um, you mentioned a little bit about the home jerseys not having any white on them. That's really cool. Their road jerseys look pretty sharp. Only complaint I have is when the Golden Knights put out their jerseys, um, and by the way, big big news today as we record the podcast, where the, the Kraken outsold the Golden Knights gear by over 50% uh, in the first 24 hours after the name was revealed, which is kind of crazy. Um, the... Uh, uh, The only thing I wanted more was some weird stuff. Now, granted, like when we see the physical jerseys, maybe there is a little bit of texture or sparklies or Mm -hmm. whatever on the jersey to make it kind of distinct. But at first glance, it seems, while an attractive jersey, no doubt, very sort of off the assembly line, traditional NHL jersey versus like your name's the Kraken, where's the giant tentacle around the waist kind of thing.
1: I mean, you guys know this if you're a listener of the podcast. I've been on record saying I don't believe in my jersey taste. I don't think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to not agree with what people think are attractive. I think they look sharp. I don't think I'm the best judge of this. And one of the things that you said you saw a rumor of was it potentially being diagonal, lowercase, saying Seattle against the was that the home jerseys. And you were very against that, right?
0: I, I didn't la- like that uh, at all. Um, I think it looked pretty bad. <laughs> um, but uh, but we'll see what they end up doing. I mean, I think the jerseys are, are, are pretty cool looking. And again, like, I think it was Ron Francis who may have said this um, either in your story or elsewhere. Like, you want to come up with a jersey that people are going to feel pride in putting on, right? And I think that at the very least, that jersey accomplishes that feat. So the Kraken, we have a name and a branding.
1: Yeah. The only thing I would wrap up with is, you know, you and I have both heard from, you know, some older folks in hockey who are saying, this is so stupid. This is the stupidest (laughs) name. Players will never want to wear this. They'll be called crackheads. Oh my God. And the rebuttal to that is they had a very small branding committee. And on that branding committee was one Ron Francis, who I don't know, played 23 years in the league, has been around for fricking ever, has known every hockey player ever. And Mm -hmm. he knows what guys like. Um, And, and, you know, he knows what is respectable. And the fact that he signed off on it, I think, does say something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And also the fact that uh, these players would get money from this team and get a chance to live in the Pacific Northwest. So I think even if someone says, uh, hey, you're a crackhead, they won't care uh, because they will be living in a beautiful place, being well compensated and playing for a team that will probably be really good out the gate because nobody can keep their players because of the flat cap. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> let's talk to uh, an, an old, an old uh, pal of ours who's now venturing into new ventures, uh, Hockey Hall of Famer Chris Pronger. Joining us now on the line is Chris Pronger, Hockey Hall of Famer, former Senior VP of Hockey Operations for the Florida Panthers, and now the man behind Well Inspired Travels, his newest venture. And he joins us now on ESPN. And I said, Let's just get this out of the way, man. What's this <laughs> new business you're working on? V- VIP travel
2: is what you're doing now? Yeah. We're a boutique luxury travel company that caters to uh, elite athletes, uh, CEOs, C-level executives, and uh, business owners and high-net-worth clients.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've always kind of been interested in this space. I remember covering you back in in 2010 in in the final when you were like stealing pucks and stuff. And you were wearing you weren't you wearing that hat of the company that was like you, you could like rent their their private planes.
2: Uh, I had I had a marquee jet hat on. Yes. Good. Memory. Right. Very good. memory.
0: <laughs> so is this I mean, is this, I mean, is, am I am I am I right in kind of drawing the connection that you've always sort of been interested in this sort of like VIP travel space? Um, I I've
2: always been the guy that that booked our golf trips, our fishing trips. Uh, I <laughs> I enjoy it. And, uh got a passion for travel and, and the healing properties of travel from a mind, body, spirit perspective. And, and it certainly helped me, uh, kind of get, get, get healthy myself in, you know, early, uh, you know, 2012, 2013. Um, you know, my wife has had a number of, uh, of, uh, things happen throughout the course of her life with her, her father being diagnosed with stage four colon cancer when she was a young kid. And, and then, obviously, uh, further down the line, he had a stroke and, and things of that nature. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that have happened through the course of our lives that, that kind of steered us in this direction. And, uh, you know, I think it was it was just the, the timing of it with our kids getting older and almost out of the house and, and us wanting to uh, to build a business. It's something that I've always wanted to do. Uh, you know, since I can remember, is, is own my own company and, and be my own boss and, and, and run a company and, and try to grow it to, to the best of my abilities.
1: Chris, you know, you mentioned your health and you haven't played in the league. It's about to be 10 years um, and your career ended with post-concussion. I know. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to rub it all in. Uh, post-concussion syndrome. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm curious, though, you know, you did have a lot of ailments, um, you know, and, and concussion stuff is scary. And I know you also had some vision impairment, but um, you were hit in the eye with a blade. So I'm just curious how you're feeling now. Do you have any effects from any of that?
2: Um, yeah, I got to wear the glasses and my eyes get, get tired at times. I think, you know, I sleep, uh, when I do get sleepy, it's mainly eye related uh, where my eyes just get very, very tired and they're, you've used this enough, it's time to go night night. Um, and, and really, you know, from, from the head perspective and the concussions, you know, I think just, just finding the right remedies and the right things that allow you to kind of clear your mind and refocus, there's. There's so many different things that people can do uh, to try to get better, and 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 so many people take different paths to get to that place. and And mine was with travel, and, and obviously I put a lot of time and effort in on working on my eye, which in turn I had a vestibular concussion, so very much eye related, um, you know. So it 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 really the, the the healing properties of travel and 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 how all that kind of melds together fit me personally and fit. Fit my life and, and not everybody as I said are going to have the same issues that I had and so you know whether it's uh, let's say it's Mark Savard getting hit and he just from the dizziness and you know his was a little bit different than mine so um, er, as I said just the difference in, in injuries and the difference in, in the types of injuries uh, varies and, and can really guide you in whichever direction you're looking at.
1: Besides travel, was there any other therapy or treatments that you tried, maybe were experimental, maybe commonplace, that you feel really helped you?
2: Yeah, I did a lot of, well, I did, I I went to uh, the eye doctor and did a bunch of, uh, I did a bunch of tests a little bit later on once I stopped playing and and found out that my eye was blurry and found I needed to really uh, retrain my eye to focus properly and Mm. My, my uh, right eye, the eye that got hit, was not uh, tracking the e- equilibrium properly. So when you move your head, your, your eyes normally hold the horizon. You don't really notice it, but that's what they do. And my right eye was not doing that properly. And that was making me dizzy. It was making me uh, you know, nauseous. And really, I needed to retrain my eye to, to do what my other eye was doing. Uh, in order to to get rid of that that sensation and and have the ability to, you know, if I was sitting on a bike and riding the bike, I'm like I'm not moving my head, and hmm. if you look, your head is moving. It's a subtle movement, but that subtle movement was making me sick and 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 whatnot. So, um, you know, really, it's about trial and error for me personally. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that believe in a number of different things. There's all kinds of gyroscopes and. And different different types of therapies that people do and um, you know, whether it's the ear crystals and manipulating your head and things of that nature. So there's all kinds of different things that work for people. I know when I was going through it, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't jumping from doctor to doctor to doctor because all of a sudden if something works, what exactly was it that was working? Hmm. And I wanted to be deliberate in what I was trying and what I was doing so that I could A know when I was starting to feel better and B, know what it was that was helping me get better, and I could then hone in on that and really focus in on that.
0: Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting you say that, because, I mean, I, I think the work that Danny Carcillo has done in bringing awareness to post-player, uh, post-playing player days, uh, issues with players who had concussions and things like that, especially, you know, his, his is more of an herbal thing, I think, than anything else, has really expressed that there's no magic bullet solution, all of this, let's just say. Like, you know, everybody kind of has their own path towards feeling better when they're dealing with this. But in you saying this, I was wondering, where where are you on on the league maybe doing more for guys that, that struggle post-playing days with their health? I know it was addressed recently in the, in the latest CBA, but uh, but do you think they need to do more?
2: Well, I think they can always do more, but at the end of the day, it's a matter of dollars and cents. in trying to figure out... Uh, what the solution is you know I think trying to get uh, health care uh, or 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 allow us the ability for those that that can we're allowed to stay in the healthcare care plan but we got to pay for it right and it's a pretty extensive program and and uh, not exactly cost effective for those guys that uh, that are you know in and out of the league and and, and et cetera. so um, you know, getting healthcare for everybody, I think, is a, is a mandate and a goal for us at the NHL Alumni Association, and something that I know Glenn Healy and, and others are, are working hard at trying to get, uh, but it's going to take a process, and, and, you know, we'll revisit that when the next CBA comes around, but, um, you know, I think I think for us, it, it, it's really, there's always going to be those guys that are in need, uh, that, that that are struggling with their health, that have different health situations arise that, that aren't necessarily due to anything that they did. It, you know, whether it's an unfortunate circumstance, uh, bad luck, uh, something goes awry. Uh, we need to make sure that we're taking care of those guys and making sure that they're, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're one of us, so to speak, and, and we need yeah. to make sure we're taking care of one another.
0: All right. So you, le- you leave the Panthers. You got this VP of Hockey Operations gig with the Panthers. You're going off and doing your own thing. I'm sure you saw it. The Toronto Sun reported that you're leaving because you wanted to replace Dale Talon eventually as GM. <laughs> it became pretty apparent that it was going to be Eric Joyce that's going to do it. And and listen, it makes sense, Eric Joyce. You know, listen, these military guys they stick together. You know, Eric Joyce, Vinny yeah. Viola. We understand how this works. Is that what's the truth to this? I mean, is is, that, is what was reported in the Sun accurate that uh, you you realized you weren't going to get the gig uh, that uh, Dale Talon has, and then you got to go off and do your own thing?
2: no actually the, the this this kind of came up where I've, I've as I said I've always had a passion for travel my wife started the company a couple years ago and I was kind of helping her out part-time and, and as we know in in pro sports you can't have you can't dip a toe in mm. you have to be all in or all out and uh, I was enjoying the, the building of the company and the process of building up the, the travel company well- inspired travels and um I was really enjoying myself. And I'm like, you know what? I like this. I, I want to be my own boss. I want to be my own maker. And, and I want to be able to uh, have my own fate in my hands. And, uh, um, you know, I certainly appreciate uh, the three years I spent with the Panthers and, and learning under Dale. And uh, I would tell you unequivocally that uh, that's false. <laughs> whatever <laughs> the son reported, whatever they reported is false um i left on great terms with dale you know i had a conversation with him uh prior to the trade deadline uh really about my intentions of not resigning and and not coming back because i wanted to do uh you know run this travel company and 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 build this travel company with my wife and um so you know again people can write all kinds of silly things and and we all know uh, how that stuff happens but um You know, there, there isn't always necessarily a bigger story than, uh, than meets the eye.
1: Good for you, Chris. I'm curious. Um, you know, when players retire, I feel like they want to stay involved in the game or, you know, they, they have ideas of what they want to do. But it's usually streamlined into a couple different categories. Like, I'm going to coach. I'm going to go be a, a front office guy one day or GM one day. I'm going to work in player development or, like, I'm going to get into real estate. How, do you think it like, took you a couple years to really figure out, hey, I can carve something out that's my passion and off the beaten path and I can do it? Like, Do you think you could have done something like this right when you retired?
2: No, I think, you know what, I got some great advice from two mentors of my, mine when I got hurt in Philly. Um, don't make any decisions in the first year that are going to uh, be have any long-term effect. So basically whether you're being asked to you know, go on a board, uh, you know, help out with you know, be a spokesperson for a charity, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, just don't do anything, work on getting healthy, work on, um, you know, taking care of your family. And then once you're more accustomed to your day-to-day rigors, which aren't that much, <laughs> when you go from being a <laughs> professional athlete and your, your day is pretty well spelled out for you, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a change when you're trying to figure out what you do with your time. And, and how you divvy up your time and what you're going to do and, and all the rest of that. So uh, it's a process and it takes uh, um, a, a d- definitive amount of time to really focus in on what you want to do. You know, I can tell you like six, six, seven years ago when I got hurt, it was really a matter of figuring out, okay, I've, I have always wanted, I looked at buying businesses, I looked at certain things the fit just wasn't there. You know, you need to be passionate about what you're doing, whatever it is. And, you know, for me, looking at some of these, it just wasn't anything that moved the needle for me. Mm. Uh, and then I got the the job with player safety, and I was able to kind of learn the business side of the NHL and, and, and continue to track players uh, on a different level. But you're still watching games every night. You're still immersed and involved in the sport. And then I got the job with the Panthers, and it it you know it, it's that next step closer. But uh, I still had visions of, of owning my own company, and still uh, was kicking the tires on a number of different things. And and you know a lot of a lot of times it it really just boils down to timing. And you know our kids are older. You know it was a an idea that my wife had that um, you know we kind of then really took it out, you know, narrowed our focus and figured out exactly what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it and, and how we could help uh, those uh, clients of ours that that uh, are looking to do what we can provide.
0: Cool. Last one for me. Um, if you, I mean, we all see what this, this whole return to play thing looks like with the phase three and the phase four and the testing and the bubble and the whole thing. Uh, if you were still playing, you know, have you thought about how you'd react to all this? If if you could handle life inside the bubble to come, return, and, 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 and finish out the season, what what would Chris Prager's uh, uh, situation be like if if you had to have bubble life for two and a half months? Is
2: it Chris Prager now or Chris? <laughs> back, in
0: the, let, back the in the day? Let's split the difference. Well,
2: let's let's just see. I played. I finished my shift with a torn ACL. I played with a heart attack. And I played uh, through a concussion, so uh, I'm pretty sure I would have been playing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going off of those few examples, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think I think there's there's always times and at different points in your you're, you're at different points in your career. A lot of those things happened when I was much younger, uh, you know. And, and other than the eye injury and concussion, a lot of the major injuries that that I just talked about were. I was much younger and didn't really understand the magnitude of what just happened. I know, you know, to this day when I talk about the time I had a heart attack uh, on the ice in Detroit, it still doesn't feel like it was really that big a deal. Mm. But when you go back and research and look at what, how often people die from that, it's pretty regular. Mm. And um, so, you know, young and dumb, really. Uh, that's how I ch- what I chalk it up to. And, and the fact that I just wanted to play hockey. And I wanted to win. And, um, you know, that competitive juices get going. You're in the playoffs, and you're like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win. And, uh, you know, whether that's right or wrong or indifferent, uh, that's how I'm wired and, and how I was wired as a player. So uh, I'm pretty sure I would have been playing.
0: You, you are off the hook, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> good luck. Thank you. Good luck with all It's
1: equivalent your- of wearing a hat in Stanley Cup Media Day.
0: Yeah, you yeah. got to get your spots in. Hey, Chris, thank you so much. Congratulations. Good luck on the new venture, and we'll talk to you down the line.
2: You bet. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your
0: time. Our thanks to Chris Pronger. Well-inspired Travels is the company. Do check it out. He's a man of, he's a man of luxury. He would like to make your travels more luxurious as well. Uh, the NHL put out a ton of information in the last 48 hours about the life in the bubble uh, not only what uh, it's going to be like for the players, putting out maps of what Toronto and Edmonton are going to look like when the teams get there, but also kind of cluing us in as to what the arenas are going to look like in this restart insofar as bells and whistles and broadcasting stuff and all that. Uh, what caught your eye in all of these uh, materials in this press conference that we had uh, today with the, uh, the NHL's hierarchy?
1: Um, I think we should start with a game presentation. The five-second delay, obviously, that's something that had been reported before, but now we know, so we're not gonna hear cursing on TV. I think it's a total missed opportunity for them not to offer an alternative broadcast Put it on Peacock. Peacock is free. Like, why not? (laughs) Um, you know, with the enhanced crowd noise, I've been watching a lot of EPL, mainly my Chelsea Blues, and no big deal. Tough loss to Liverpool, but we showed a lot of fight. Mm -hmm. And um, I do often find myself, you get the option on the NBC Sports app, you want to watch it with the enhanced crowd noise, you want to watch it without it. And I didn't think I would, but I'm always someone who tends to watch it with the enhanced crowd noise because it feels comfortable. So I'm curious to see what the NHL looks like, if it is similar to what we've seen in EPL and now MLB. Um, mm. But that, that's going to be interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I liked, I liked the aesthetics. Um, I was always very curious what they were going to do with an arena full of empty seats. Um, because the real key to getting people excited about this restart and watching hockey in these bubble cities is not making them horribly depressed uh, because there's no fans at the game and it being weird and alien and not good so by kind of closing off the empty seats with with coverings and then putting this giant stage um behind the players benches where obviously the main camera is going to be focused on for most of the action i think is really a, a cool touch and i think if nothing else it'll it'll almost feel like you know like you're you're watching i don't know like american gladiators or something where it's in sort of this like hermetically sealed little dark arena versus it being in a cavernous building um where it feels sort of empty, so that's gonna be cool and then uh looking forward to also the camera innovations they're gonna have like some, yeah. something like twenty some odd extra cameras all over the place, obviously I think it's without fans. Extra.
1: Yeah. cameras than they're used to having
0: yeah so like with no fans there, they're going to be able to put these things in places that they've never been able to before they're going to have cameras that are going to be able to go up and down the rink to kind of capture the speed of the play there's a very good chance that this is going to be the ideal version of televised hockey uh that we may never get to see again because <laughs> fans are going to be back at some point um, so you can't put a camera everywhere, but I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do with, um, these, these different camera angles to really kind of capture the speed of the game in ways we haven't seen before, uh, with the Batman and, and daily uh, presser today, what, what stood out for you from their conversations?
1: No, I was surprised by how much still is up in the air. Um, you know, We know the NHL, owned that day, whatever it was, to be one of the first leagues to announce their plans. But also was one of the slowest to get their plans actually going and and restart. And, you know, I think a lot of that is issues with the Canadian government. And we've seen, especially with the situation with the Blue Jays, how strict they're being. And the fact that Gary and Bill pretty much said, we're not going to be there at the start because we're still trying to figure out. Uh, our 14-day quarantine, and, and if we can figure that out, that was fascinating to me. Um, another thing, you know, the players put a lot of input that they wanted their family members to come join them in the bubble at some point, point. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the compromise was family members can come by the conference finals and stay for the Stanley Cup final, but it does sound like there's still some logistics to figure out there as well, and it's not necessarily a guarantee, um, you know, and I think one of the issues is really just travel and getting there, and we've seen even now in training camps, like the situation in Boston with David Pasternak, like you see Cam Neely come out and say like, you know, I wish he had taken a different travel route to come to Boston. Yeah, and that's the man. reason that he's being held out. And it's like, if you can't even control or help the star players of when they're supposed to arrive, how are yeah. they going to do this for all of these different family members who, Hey, have probably been interacting with whomever the last couple of weeks when, before they join their you know spouses.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and I also thought it was interesting that ultimately uh, it's Gary Bettman's call as to what to do with players. Uh, He is obviously going to take (laughs) his cue. That is
1: a loaded sentence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. He's obviously going to get his his cue from medical experts and scientists and everybody advising him. But, you know, it's not simply just the players that test positive. Um, You know, the NHL's chief medical officer said that they are going to do contract tracing, that they are going to do... Uh, you know, potential quarantines for players that were in situations that were, uh, you know, very high potential for COVID-19 infection. I don't know how they'll get in those situations. It probably means they've left the bubble to do so, which could mean that they're not going to play anyway. Um, But it is interesting to to see that Bettman is going to be the final arbiter on a lot of this stuff and and whether that's ever going to, be an issue with the players association going forward anyways fascinating stuff uh do check out our coverage of the nhl's return to play press conference and the documents they put out recently and now let's talk to a dude that is going to return to play it's ryan strome with the new york rangers joining us down the line ryan strome center for the new york rangers uh who of course are heading into the bubble uh to take on the carolina hurricanes and the qualification round ryan first off man training camp's been going on for a few days uh What's it been like, uh the changes you've had to deal with, and uh all that testing and stuff has it been sort of weird or has it been sort of normal?'m
3: um, pretty normal, I would say um we get tested every other day and, uh, we have a little bit of a questionnaire to and then before we leave for the drink in the morning and um we have to have a little temperature check and a symptoms check when we walk in for the nurse, but oh I no, mean, all all, I mean that kind of only takes five ten minutes, maybe fifteen minutes maximum of your day. Uh, if that's what it takes to, you know, follow the proper protocols and ensure that we have, uh, you know, negative results in our tests and uh, and you know everything's safe and healthy. I mean, that's uh, I think you know an easy um, easy decision for the players to make. And I think so far everything's been pretty pretty smooth. I would say most guys are pretty happy with the way things have gone. It's not uh, it's not invasive. It's not uh, too time consuming. And- like I said, if it's for the greater good and so we can get this thing rolling, I think uh, I'd
0: been on board, and it's been, uh, been real good so far. Yeah, man, and like you said, so far so good. Uh, the news came out this week. There's only been two positive tests since the start of camp for the NHL, despite you know hundreds and hundreds of tests they've given out. Were you surprised by that? Um, it, it sounds like you think coming into this thing that the players were going to be kind of on their you know, best behavior, not putting themselves in risky situations because they know what's at stake. So I imagine maybe you weren't surprised, or maybe you were. I don't know.
3: Um, I wasn't really surprised. I think um, you know, people that might not have too much knowledge of the situation might think, oh, you know, this could be a disaster. And uh, that was kind of uh, my original thought. But after going through all the PA calls and um, hearing from the infectious disease specialists and from our team, I think you know, getting tested every other day, I mean, if something did happen, I think you'd be on it so quickly, and um, we're wearing masks pretty much anywhere we go, other than when we sit down at a dinner table or a lunch table, um, and when we're at the rick, we're kind of with our family, so-called, our, you know, our teammates and all that, we're who, who who also getting tested, so, I mean, if you kind of think of it that way, when there's not really much exposure, and when there is, you have a mask on and stuff, I mean, uh, it's not really a surprise, I think, um, I think the doctors kind of predicted that a bubble could work, and, uh, I think so far, so good. And, uh, you know, kudos to the Rangers and the NHL and the PA for putting it all together. I know there's a ton of work and a ton of money involved, but, uh, you know, I think the results speak for themselves and everyone's working hard to kind of do the right thing for, you know, society and the general population, but also for hockey and try to get uh, get the show on the road here.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned the bubble. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the Potential for summer camp hijinks with you guys, the Islanders, the Flyers, the Penguins, all being in the same hotel, uh, <laughs> or or in the same sort of vicinity. Um, what is your expectation for bubble life? I mean, it, it's hard to imagine guys just staying in their hotel rooms the entire time, not at least hanging out with each other a little bit, as far as the teammates go. What have you been told, and what are your expectations for the next step of this thing?
3: From my experience playing in the playoffs a couple times, I mean. Normally, anyways. most guys usually eat at the hotel, I think. Um, From part time, the team usually provides meals, and um, guys usually stay in and hang out in the uh, little lounge room the team provides, and they don't really go for dinner as much as maybe the regular season. So uh, I don't think it's honestly going to be that much different. I think the first couple days when we're practicing might be, you know, a little abnormal, not being able to go outside or anything. But um, from what I understand, there might be um, in Toronto a little area at the exhibition that, players will walk around a little bit and I guess they've expanded the bubble to outdoors and stuff like that. But I'm not even 100% sure. But I don't think it's going to be too much. You know, I don't think there's any temptation for players. Like, I think right now everyone's focused on keeping each other safe and keeping everyone safe and keeping this, uh, the games going and things rolling. And secondly, you know, guys are excited to play. I think, you know, I think players realize doing something like going out, you know, to a public place is, you know, only putting everyone else in jeopardy. I think hockey players are very good at, you know, buying into these types of things, and uh, I would expect there to be really no issues if I had to guess. So we'll
2: see how it goes.
0: That's good. Uh, everybody's asking you guys about this. So I'll ask you: Is there anything that you're packing in your bag that you got to bring with you to the bubble? Any, anything in particular, book or something else? That uh, a Nintendo Switch or anything that you're bringing with you? <laughs> Um,
3: I'll probably bring my Xbox, to be honest with you. I uh, I usually don't bring it on the road, but uh, for an extended period of time, I feel like it's a good opportunity. Uh, I can't imagine guys are going to be doing too much other than just relaxing and doing what they kind of normally do on the road. So um, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit different, like you kind of, like was kind of talked about it and like everyone kind of expects, but, you know, not not too far to the ordinary from a normal hockey player's road trip life, so to speak. For, sh-
0: for sure. All right, you guys draw Carolina. And it's no secret that the Rangers have sort of uh, beaten the pants off the Hurricanes in the last uh, few times that you guys have, have played a good one-loss record over the last couple of years against them. Is there anything that we could read into that as far as the styles clashing and, and the Rangers kind of having an advantage in this series? Or does that go out the window when you're talking about a, a five-game qualification series?
3: Yeah, I think it kind of goes out the window, to be honest with you. I think – you know, maybe it's nice to have uh, a little taste of success, and I think maybe we can go back to the phone and see what, what we did today or what we did wrong, but uh, when you get into a series of five games, it's I mean, when Cal, if you play a you want a back-to-back, it's so hard to beat them twice and never to play you have to win three or five, so, um, you know, they're a good hockey team, they're really deep, they have a you know great defense core, they have uh, a real solid forward lineup, and you know, up and down, they're well coached, they're hard to play against, they've got a good goalie, so I mean, they're going to be a tough test for us. I think we know that. They've, uh, I think they're in the Eastern Conference Finals for last time the playoffs last year. So I mean, they're no slouch. So uh, it's going to be a tough test for us. I think we know that. But uh, I think we're, you know, we have a young, energetic team that's, uh, you know, maybe a little bit naive to the challenge, so to speak, in a good way. So maybe we'll just go in there with a, you know, a clean mindset and a fresh slide And for a lot of guys, it's uh, their first time in the playoffs. So. Um I'm sure we'll be ready to go. I think uh judging by our folks and our skates are pretty lively out there. Um uh, you know, hopefully the best and uh you can see what happens.
0: Your boy, Artemi Panarin. It's a hard trophy finalist, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sell, sell me sell me on why Artemi deserves this uh this MVP award more than Dry or McKinnon.
3: It's tough it's tough to really say more than another guy. I think if you look at McKinnon, how he got into the game and if you look at Dry Sidal Uh, The numbers he's put up and playing, uh, you know, some big minutes and uh, special teams and all that stuff. I think they're all great cases that he had, but I think seeing uh, our timing day in day out. I think uh, how many even strong points you had is obviously a big thing. I think Uh, I I personally think just the eye test. I think for me getting to see him up close every day, I'm a little bit biased, obviously, but every game it felt like when he was on the ice, he could control the play. It felt like even if he didn't have his best center, he was able to get out of there two or three points. out with, come out with a big play when we really needed it and uh get the job done and oh uh, has got an infectious personality when he comes to Rick he's smiling, he loves the game, he loves he loves loves to score goals and he loves his enthusiasm. I think that rubs off on everyone and it was uh, very valuable for me, a whole team and uh, I think he's very deserving of the awards and all the accolades that he's uh you know people have throwing his name out these conversations is more deserving in my opinion.
0: Good stuff. And the last one man so you're uh you're heading into restricted free agency after this season and you're doing it at a time where the cap's going to be flat, uh the off season's going to be brief. Uh there's a lot of teams that are facing, you know, financial uh, uh question marks as they go forward. What's that like <laughs> going into this off season without a contract and this off season being what it is?
3: Yeah, definitely unique. I mean I think the projections for the cap were like 84 88 million I mean, that might have been a little high, but obviously now it's eighty one five. So teams are gonna have some tough decisions in it. But obviously that's uh that's just part of the business side. So uh I think if you you know are you happy with what you did during the season, your body at work and um I think especially in New York, I find a role now, I think I fit in I room, and I think um I think I'm a big part of what's going on here and um I think that's you know, Jeff Gordon has done a great job so far in managing things last handful of years, you look at some of the moves you've made, it's uh, set our team up pretty quickly to have a, you know, they were a quote-unquote rebuild two years ago. So, you know, hopefully that can be part of it. I've You know, I think i let my agent know my, what I, what I want to do. And, um, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. Obviously, we're a hard for agency. It's going to come upon us quickly. But, um, you know, I love being a ranger. It's, uh, it's special to play for an original six team, I think. Walking the Madison Square Garden 41 times a year is uh, is a really good feeling. Um, just just to come to the team and where it's going. I think I want to be a part of it. And, uh, hopefully we miss something today. But I mean we'll see. Obviously, you know, hockey and, and sports is obviously a business side here. but uh, you know, I guess my answer is I'll let my agent and uh boats run and I'm sure everything will work out for the best. I'm just uh you know, looking forward to having a good playoff run. It's uh it's not easy to make the playoffs in this league and although it's a bit of a unique circumstance it's uh, it's a great opportunity for me and for the guys to uh yeah, see what can happen. Roll the dice. I think with the team we have, it's possible. So that's kind of my main focus right
0: now. Great stuff, man. Hey, best of luck in the playoffs. Best of luck to the Rangers, and thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks,
3: Greg.
0: Have a good one. All right. Thanks to Ryan Strom for joining us from the Rangers. Um, yeah, we, we, we the award stuff all came out while in between shows for us. I don't know if we need to get into too much of it. Was there like we talked to him about Panarin? I was excited to see Panarin get into the top three. Was not excited to see Connor Hollybuck to be snubbed from the top three for the Hart Trophy. Any any award stuff that stood out to you in the last uh, week as we've uh, seen these things trickle in?
1: No, they're all predictable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly feel like i could have written these and like it's not even necessarily the three that i voted for it's just the three i know people will vote for um, right. so yeah I, I honestly have no takes
0: you weren't moder- moderately surprised that mike sullivan of the penguins didn't get sneak into that top three he had seemed like he was rumored to be a top mm-hmm. three for the jack adams for for a long time
1: yeah no on the jack adams but again i don't know the broadcasters i know how right. writers think we're not I mean, that's responsible on the broadcaster. So right. uh, my only thinking on that is maybe Mike Sullivan like blew off a couple one-on-one meetings with visiting play-by-play guys. And they're like, <laughs> "F this guy, Bruce Cassidy has way more time for us. Like that's the only explanation because what Mike Sullivan did with that injured ravaged roster uh, yeah. to keep them, honestly, they were in, like first place in the Metro division as of recently, whatever recently is these days. Um, yeah. I, I, he would be my winner.
0: Michael Kinsman wants to know when will Seattle get Kraken? on finding a coach. You had any insight on that?
1: Yeah. You know, they hired a GM a little before they thought they were going to, and that's, you know, on the budget, it's an extra person you've got to pay. I don't think they're in a rush to hire a coach, just because there's a lot of candidates out there that are qualified. I don't think they feel like they're in competition to get a guy like Gerard Gallant sitting out there ready to go. Um, You've got a guy like Peter Laviolette who could be the coach. Yeah. yeah, if you want to go the Mike Babcock route, knowing the way this organization is running things, I can't imagine they would take that PR hit, but you could get Mike Babcock as well. So I would expect that to be one of, um, a thing that comes a little bit closer to the expansion draft.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and finally, uh, Kat Silverman, now that we have a team name, color scheme, and logo, which goalie would look the best debuting new gear for the Seattle Kraken? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, Look how? I, I think what you want, and, and this, is, this is the truth, I think you want to find your flurry. Like you want to find a goalie that is a veteran type that is going to be able to go there and be the standard bearer for the organization in the first couple of seasons. I mean, like if he was maybe a couple years younger, Lundquist would be the perfect guy to go and be the like, Seattle goalie, you know, may still be, I don't know. But uh, but that's I, if I'm looking for a goalie, I'm not looking to platoon somebody. I'm looking for somebody who can come in there and maybe be the guy uh, for the first couple of years of the franchise. Personally.
1: See, it's funny that you mentioned Flurry because the only guy I can keep thinking of is Matt Murray. Like yeah. I, w- I want Matt Murray to get that job. Like I just feel like he did a ton in Pittsburgh. There was some weird stuff that happened. He's kind of been off his game, and like this could revive his career. And then obviously, it makes sense for Pittsburgh, because then you don't have a goalie controversy, you just give it to Tristan Jari.
0: There you go. Uh, and obviously the answer is Cam Ward because Ron Francis. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. That's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our, our weekly week look, we look at, at, at sad hyperbole, hyperbole and strained strain narratives, narratives of, the of the hockey media. media. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. It's time for Phil Kessler's Hot Dogs, where we turn the attention to the hockey media, its uh, problems, its foibles, its hyperboles, and all that stuff. But we're not going to talk about the hockey media's problems. We're going to talk about the NHL's media access problems yes, for a moment.
1: Yes, great framing. <laughs> <laughs> let's go.
0: Uh, let's stick to the facts. The National Hockey League is not allowing any independent reporters into the bubble to live in the bubble, to get tested every day, to you know see what's going on there to see what the conditions are like or any of it. Uh, they are allowing three of their own writers from NHL.com to be inside of the bubble. So if it's a problem of like the numbers game or what have you, well, you're adding to the roles by having three people there to report, except that they're you know, state-run media and they're going to report things through a very, very thick filter that you will apply to all of their reporting. Now, there's a lot of people and the out NHL's there that think also okay, go ahead. Yeah.
1: a content creator for every team.
0: Right. And a content creator for every team. So even more numbers. A lot of people out there are like, why do you need to be in the bubble? You know, what are you going to do? Snitch on the players? Well, no. I mean, you know, I, I worked at the Olympics as the Emily. You go, uh, you report on the IOC, you report on the village, you report on the conditions inside the Olympic uh, stadiums and such. It is as much a part of the presentation of a major sporting event as anything else. The fact of the matter is that the NHL is not allowing independent voices to take a look at what's going on behind the curtain and under the hood because they don't want any negative stories to come out. That's why they're having their own state-run media do it. Now, this wouldn't be a problem necessarily, although it would be, but not as big of a problem if the NBA wasn't allowing, get this, 17 reporters from different media outlets, not all of them rights holders, into their bubble to live and walk and interact amongst the players. Seventeen versus zero. One league prints money because of how it knows how to market its game. The other league, it doesn't. And you wonder why these things are the way they are. Now, you've been on the inside of all this. Any, any thoughts on the restrictions of people inside the bubble for when it comes to the NHL and media?
1: Yeah, and I, I think just to backtrack for a second of why it's important. This is the most unique challenge this league has perhaps ever faced. They had to shut down their season in the middle of a global pandemic, are restarting it in a very fragile situation. Issues of public health are at, you know, a big issue. And this should be documented. And and I, I do feel like it is our rights as journalists to document it fairly for the sake of history. Um, You know, Alan Walsh, who is a well-respected player agent, tweeted, and I I think this is exactly spot on. The NHL has always tried to obsessively control the media narrative by restricting or granting access. This is not a player safety issue. It's a pretext that will backfire. This kind of backward thinking continually holds the NHL back. And really the reason that it frustrates me is because each of the explanations we've been given by the NHL... I find to be paper thin, you know, they keep moving the goalposts of the reason why, you know, once we heard there was no space, then we heard there is space. Um, we heard, well, they didn't want to do the NBA's way, um, because it's not fair to some outlets who can't afford it because it's so expensive. That sucks. Like that's the way society works. Like that doesn't mean that you can limit everybody from going. You have to at least offer option, offer the opportunities, um, so it, it's been really frustrating, and I, I hope this isn't a precedent. I hope that this is a very unique situation. And look, the league has promised us once things go back to normal, we'll get our regular media access. I'm just mm-hmm. disappointed in this you know, historic time for the league. We can't be there to, to let you guys know what's happening.
0: Yeah, and also not even do the basic functions of reporting, like going to practices and telling you what the, the teams are doing in preparation for the next game because they're not allowing any reporters at the practices either. And also kind of restricting access to players after morning skates and things like that. So it's it's a... We even just a re- wanted a
1: pool reporter. That's all we asked yeah. for at one point.
0: It's a real shame. Um, and, and I think they've, they've royally screwed this up. And uh, I hope that as the numbers decrease inside the bubble, as more teams are eliminated, perhaps they revisit this um, decision. Uh, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline referees... Finally heard from Stephen Welcome today, the uh, NHL's VP of Officiating, after many requests from both you and I to speak with this band over the last few months, and uh, got some interesting information. Um, unique situation for the referees, as they will all be on site, 20 at each hub, interacting and, and kind of seeing each other uh, throughout the playoffs in a way that they normally don't. But for me, the most interesting thing, I- I'm doing a story for next week that this is going to be a part of, um, they're changing whistles. They're getting they're trying to get rid of the whistles with the little P inside that you have to blow to make the whistle noise. To go to a P-less whistle. I know. I'm sorry. Uh,
1: saying that. I was like, what is he talking? These the, the, a little ball, to the, the little technology. ball inside the whistle. Yeah. Okay. A little ball okay. inside the
0: whistle. So um that requires less breath to make the noise. And again, this is the sort of thing where you're like, I can't believe this is the world we're living in. But again, If you're on top of a bunch of guys, you're blowing your whistle and and your COVID spits all going out into the the open on these guys' faces. Well, that's something you could just avoid by changing the equipment. And so rather than going to an electronic whistle, a digital whistle, which is something that the NFL and the NCAA are considering doing uh, because of the pandemic, uh, the NHL is going to have a a new whistle that will have less schmutz uh, spitting out from the top of it, potentially. Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, Dateline, Taylor Hall. Oh, man, there's a lot going on here. Taylor Hall's talking to the Coyotes. He's not talking to John Chayka, the general manager, as the Coyotes owner and CEO were the ones that sat down with Taylor Hall recently for some discussions about a potential new contract. What the hell's going on over there? Is John Chayka being frozen out before the restart?
1: Not necessarily, and I don't, like, I feel like a little bit too much is being made of, like, oh, John Shika has lost all of his power in the organization. The way I see it is that Alex Morello and Xavier Gutierrez are both Businessmen And they have made a commitment to this business. And if you're committing to Taylor Hall, that's a big financial commitment. And they just want a role of saying, what are we investing in? Um, so, you know, it's not that uncommon to see guys on the business side or presidents or owners get involved, especially when it involves star players. Um, it always just feels like it's a little sexier when it's the Arizona Coyotes because they just lend themselves to a little bit more like dysfunction and drama.
0: Mm. Indeed. We- uh, dateline... Chicago. No Brent Seabrook for the Blackhawks in the postseason. Seabrook City will not be on the Blackhawks roster that will travel to Edmonton, for the Western Conference Hub City for the qualifiers. Um, he says, I don't feel comfortable enough yet as he rehabs uh, from like several surgeries. Uh, any thoughts on Brent got a Brent new body. Seab- yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Apparently not a cyborg body because he's not going. Any thoughts on Brent Seabrook uh, not retur- returning for the Blackhawks?
1: Yeah, you know, I talked to Stan Bowman a couple weeks ago, and the way he presented it, it was like, look, it's kind of a long shot. Like, he's, we're going to see what stage he's at, but like I said, he got a new body. It was like a back and two hips or, you know, pretty substantial surgeries, especially at his age. Um, one thing I would pay attention to, though, is the players and Jeremy Colleton. Players don't necessarily love that coach, especially veteran players, especially Mm -hmm. a guy like Brent Seabrook, who might have been scratched a few times. And I'm just curious to see, you know, I I think it's the right decision for him, probably not to play in this tournament, Um, but if there is any carryover to next season.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, Finally, uh, Dateline Rollerblades. Emily, tell us about the epic journey of the Men in Blades.
1: I love these kids. Uh, They're two, uh, I call everyone kids. They're like 22. Um, Rising (laughs) sophomores at uh, the University of Massachusetts, Boston on the hockey team. And uh, like everyone who's a hockey player, but rollerblades in quarantine. And then they're like, how far can we take them? Let's take them to California. And then they realize maybe you can't take your blades to California. That's a lot. So they biked from Boston to Michigan and they raised money for the American Cancer Society, had to go through all the hoops and hurdles of being NCAA athletes, but got it done. And it's just a really cool story. Only thing I was disappointed was, was I couldn't believe they only wore helmets on the last like two days.
0: Wow. Wild. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was good stuff. All good stuff from you this week. Great reporting Mm -hmm. uh, in all ways, shapes and forms. Anyway, that is uh, ESPN on Ice for this week. Um, joining us next next week we'll probably do a lot of preview stuff next week i imagine as the games are nearly here um, should we talk about actual hockey yeah i believe that's that's the plan <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool,
1: uh, cool, cool, i'll get ready puck, uh
0: you can read uh my stuff on espn uh my column on thursday was the 10 people that we're rooting for uh in the nhl restart you can also listen to my other fun. podcast puck soup where i say naughty words
1: and I'm Emily M. Kaplan. Follow me on Twitter. Please rate, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again and review us. It means a lot to us. <laughs> and it really speaks to our bosses, we've been told. So just do it.
0: That's right. There's your marching orders. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. 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 <laughs>
1: This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.